This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Good evening, this is Bird Shooter. Tonight on the show, I speak with Clint Ross. He is uh, working on the film adaptation of the book Blind Courage. It's uh, based on the true and very inspiring story of blind hiker Bill Irwin. And uh, Bill made history in 1990 when he reached Katahdin Stream Campground in Maine. In late November, after nine months on the Appalachian Trail, he completed his through hike in the snow uh, with Guide Dog Orient. But before we begin the uh, show, I just want to thank our sponsor, Backcountry Ninjas, uh, who helps support the podcast tonight. You can visit uh, their website at backcountryninjas.com for more information on performance outdoor wear and other products that they sell. It's made by hikers for hikers, and 6% of the proceeds go back to the trail in organizations like the Appalachian Trail Conference and the Pacific Crest Trail Association. So with that said, here's the show. All right, this is Bird Shooter. Tonight on the show, we have director and producer Clint Ross, who is hard at work on the movie adaptation of Blind Courage, which is based on the 1990 Appalachian Trail through hike of Bill Irwin, who is the first legally blind hiker to complete the entire trail within a single year. Clint, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. So I've been following your progress on the movie. Uh, for about six months at least now, and I've really enjoyed the trailer that you guys put together. Uh, definitely looks like it's going to be a great film, but let me ask you, where did you first hear about Bill Irwin? I actually first heard about uh, Bill Irwin and his story on the Appalachian Trail um, on a radio program. I cannot, for the life of me, remember what program it was. Um, it might have been Focus on Focus on the Family. Um and I, I was eating lunch. <laughs> I was doing construction work at the time, and I heard this. Uh, I heard Bill in his own voice, just um, uh, you know, telling this quest that he went on uh, as a blind man with his dog. And I was, I just, I could return to work. I just had to sit there and listen to this story. And uh, from there, um, years later, really, uh, after I became a filmmaker this story came back to me uh, at a season of my life where I was really um, looking for inspirational stories uh, just personally. And I remembered the Orland story uh, from the radio and I started to research and I very quickly found that there was a book out there called Blind Courage. And uh, I bought the, bought the book and, uh, and read it in, in one evening and uh, just fell in love with the story. So that was really the first time um uh, it was kind of a uh, his first radio uh, his interview then matched later uh, years later with the uh, more of a full story that came from from the book so it's really where I first heard about uh, Bill Irwin yeah and you've actually had an opportunity to meet Bill Irwin unlike most people that have probably read the book um, now did you meet him I know you met him a few years back um, did you the first time you met him was up in Maine is that correct um, no, actually, it was out, it was in North Carolina. Um, Bill was a speaker at a convention in 
North Carolina, and his son, Jeff, lives in North Carolina. And so Bill had traveled down from Maine and with his wife, Deborah, and uh, they were staying at their son's house. And boom, North Carolina is not that far from me, and that's where he was at. And so I contacted Bill and said, hey, I would love to drive up and meet you. And so I did. I traveled up, and uh, um, I stayed one day. Uh, but me and Bill and Deborah just stayed up. Uh, we, we spent an entire day together, all evening together, and all night together, uh, just talking. I really, um, you know, got a got a sense of who Bill was at that time, but also just more in depth look into uh, some of the stories that aren't necessarily in the book, and some of the insights that he did not convey through his writing that he was able to convey in person. So. Uh, yeah, that was in North Carolina. Yeah, and I, I don't want to spoil your film, but uh, any of those uh, moments that you want to share with us that you know you don't get from reading the book? Yeah, actually, there were. Um, you know, some of these things are just to understand his character, his backstory, um, and there's a couple things that were not in the book that were that he had told me uh, in person. Uh, some things were. That um, that at the beginning where he was actually dropped off the Appalachian Trail, that he had no sense of direction at that point. He actually was dropped off and didn't know where the start of the AT was, and that was something I thought was very interesting because in the book, it you know it says that um, you know that they could see the start of the AT. And, or that not, not not he could see it, but that Marvin, who had dropped him off, could see it. And, and in fact, he was just dropped off in the middle of nowhere uh, that was on a Forest Service road near uh, the start of the AT at Springer Mountain. And um, all he needed to do was tell Orient to go forward. And so he said, you know, forward Orient. And Orient took off, and then a mile, Orient had veered off, off of this Forest Service road onto a trail and Bill just followed along with him for four days and it took four days for him to even realize that he was on the was on the trail because um, there's all types of side trails up there you know the uh, uh, Springer Mountain that that area where the Forest Service roads are and so Bill didn't Bill had no idea if he was on some side trail or if he was headed south or if he was headed north on the AT he, he didn't know and so four days later when there were some trail maintainers who were out cleaning, you know, and maintaining, you know, doing some things with the trail after after a big storm, and uh, happened upon Bill Irwin in Orient, and uh, that's when Bill found out that, that he was actually headed north. I did not know that. And in the book, you know, it, it's it's different. There's an actual different beginning. But I was never really quite clear as to why um, that was not in the book. Um, you know that. That sort of thing, it was just like, well, it was just detail that we felt that um, it would, would be confusing, so we left it out. Um, you know, things like that was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, a couple other things were, one thing that he pointed out was that the Bill, you know, Bill was a very spiritual, was a very spiritual man and had a deep faith in God. And he expressed to me that if he asked me, he said, Clint, do you believe in angels? I said, yes, I believe in angels. And he said, I think I was visited by angels on the trail. And I said, what? 
you know, okay, go tell me these stories. He, he would tell me multiple stories where he would be all alone, middle of nowhere, you know, on the AT, sometimes even lost. And someone would just touch him. He would just hear someone approach, and they would put their arms on and they would guide him. Uh, a couple times where um, he tried to carry on a conversation with, with someone who was helping guide him down this, uh, uh, this steep hill onto the trail. He had gotten lost. And um, he asked the person their name, and they never responded. And before he, he said before he could blink an eye, and got, the person was gone. He said he could feel it was a man. Um, there were multiple accounts where he said there were just, just complete, just odd occurrences with with uh, uh, people or angels, how, as he described it, on, on the trail. Um, and as you know, in hiking AT, trail angels, people that leave things there uh, for you know for any through hikers, you know he, he encountered those types of um, you know coolers and food along the way that were just right at the perfect time. It actually gave him helped him find his bearings on the trail often. Um, so you know like things like that that didn't make it in the book, but in person, Bill had had told me, um, and and you could. Uh, Imagine, I'm sure some people would probably think he was crazy uh, by saying those types of things in a book that you know it's going to be national and worldwide. So, uh, you know, uh, but to Bill, uh, they were real. You know, these uh, these right. encounters were real. You know, so and I can't discredit them. You know, I'm just okay. I'm, that's, right. uh, I believe you. So, so let, let's talk. Let's talk about Bill Orwin for a minute, just to set the stage, because you know I know most people that um, have spent a lot of time on the trail are certainly familiar with the story and, and the name Bill Orwin, but um, many may have forgotten kind of the background on on Bill, and that was that he was a 50 year old legally blind man from Burlington, North Carolina, when he started. He um, had struggled with both alcohol and tobacco addictions. He's smoking up the five packs a day, I think is what he says in the book. Okay. But with, with with help, he managed to give up both. He um, he started his thru-hike in March of 1990. It was March 8th. I think he says it was raining when he, when he began, and he picked that date specifically because it was the third anniversary of his, uh, his be- becoming sober. Um, but what most people forget, Clint, is that in the early 90s, that only 10% of thru-hikers who had perfect vision or finishing the AT in a single year, right? And here's a guy that's got, mm-hmm. you know, everything stacked against him. I, I'm just kind of curious why you think Bill chose to hike the trail with, with only a guide dog and not, um, you know, for safety reasons, maybe take a companion or a series of rotating companions with him when he did the hike. Absolutely. That is that's a great question. I think it's a completely valid question looking at it. Um Bill was warned <laughs> by Warren Dole uh, at, the, at the Warren Dole Institute not to go alone, and you know the book states that 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 he went against his advice and he did go alone. Um, I think Bill Bill did not expect it expect to make it long. Like honestly, he didn't. When he he, he thought he would make it a couple days, get hurt, and have to go home, and Having talked with Bill in real life and asked him those type of things myself, one of the things he he said to me is like he said, Clint, two days went by, and 
I was fine. Three days went by, four days went by, five days. He said, I just kept going, and things kept working out. He said, not not that it was hard, it just kept working out. He said, I just kept following the dog. And, and Bill, this was a journey of faith for Bill. Uh, you know, some people said that he was testing God. You know, this was a death wish, which to us, it looks like. It's like, what? why in the world would you do this? Um, that's the biggest question. You know, why, why would you do that? Why would you go alone? Why would you do this with just you and a dog? I really, really honestly think that the reason why Bill did this was because he, it was a calling. Bill was a spiritual person. Bill was a believer in um, Jesus Christ, and he felt that this is what God wanted him to do, and he literally took that as as a, as a command, and he went and he did that. And so it was just day by day by day. It did not make sense whatsoever, but Bill's famous motto was, God leads the dog, and the dog leads me. So I think that Bill... Uh, chose to only to hike the trail only with his guide dog because I think that's what he was told to do from his standpoint, and and he made it his mission. And that, that's not to say that along the way he didn't receive help to do that. You know, there are multiple incidences in the book where he received help. Um, you know, where he had fallen down a cliff or something. You know, and someone comes to, to help him along, or he you know winds up. Um, close to dying from hypothermia, blows his whistle and someone comes and helps him. Um, it's unexplainable <laughs> to me, and uh, but I think for the most part, I think it was a calling. I think he took it very serious, um, very, uh, you know, as we, as we would see, an extreme uh, display of faith, honestly. Yeah, and I think I think Clint. Most people forget. I mean, this was 1990. The Appalachian Trail was very different in 1990 than it is in 2015, right? I, in the book, he spends mm-hmm. the first 36 hours, I think, completely alone without mm-hmm. without anyone around him, which wouldn't really happen to you on the AT today, especially if you started in March. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned something that uh, brought back a memory for me, and that was his his um, situation there at Hogpin Gap when he went mm-hmm. to get water, and he lost his campsite, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and that was early in the trip. It was still pretty cold in North Georgia in March. I think he was in shorts and a T-shirt, and he um, and he was in a, a desperate situation. And that's when he basically got his whistle out and tried to find someone to help him. Um, so, I mean, w- when you guys do the movie, are you going to focus on the 1990s AT? Is that sort of part of your strategy in the film? We will... Uh, just to kind of sidetrack a little bit to talk about how the story is being developed, um, we are definitely basing it off the book. We are the book is our is our blueprint. That's what we're going off of. Um, I am not the the screenwriter. Um, I wrote a script just to to flesh this out myself as a director. You know, a lot of people say that the first the first draft is just you telling the story to yourself. And, and that's really what I did. I, so I wrote my own draft that was uh, really following the book. and um, But it wasn't where I wanted it because I knew that this needed to be handed to, handed to a professional. 
and uh, so we have a, a professional screenwriter, someone who's who's um, has uh, written multiple screenplays. Uh, I can't release uh, her name right now because uh, we're in some negotiations, but I should be able to soon. Um, but she is very very competent in this. What I love about her background is that she um, used to teach uh, sur- survival training on the Appalachian Trail and has a strong connection to to the AT and to dogs um, and uh, has some similar backstory as, as Bill. It's, it's really interesting. So anyway, just to kind of sum it up, she's, what she will do is work in, in tandem with me on, on the story. So she will submit the story. We'll read it. Uh, you know, producers and myself will read it and have feedback to her. Uh, but we, our our compass is the book, and so these scenes that that are real highlights to people, these are the ones that we're really going to focus in on. I mean, will every one of them make it in? No, uh, but the ones that really help the story and really help us understand Bill's character more, those are the ones that are, that will will make it in. I, I I love that scene though, and I really hope that that makes it in. So I'm, I'm rooting for that one. So we'll see if it if it if it's in there. Yeah, and, and I saw your trailer. I thought it was excellent. I mean, I thought you, you. not not only do you show um, sort of the challenges that he faced when he was hiking, but also the scenery, right? I mean, some of the shots you had were phenomenal. Um, you. Did you show, shoot most of that film in, in Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee for the trailer? Yeah, um, not in Georgia. We shot uh, North Carolina, Tennessee. We actually shot up at, at Rowan, Mount, Rowan Mountain in the Highlands. Okay. And uh, right there on the border, you know, in a beautiful, beautiful location. We we had scouted that area. Um, a couple friends of mine are through hikers and, uh, you know, have hiked the AT in, in one season. And, um, you know, I, I asked them, one of the things I asked them was, okay, what the locations stick out to you, the, the main ones for you? And um, what I kept getting back was the highlands. So I looked into that area. What I found was that, oh, great. Right there in that one area, we have some really dense, kind of wet, foggy trails, and we have the highest um, shelter on the AT is there. and uh, It's a great location. Then you have wide open spans of, of the highlands there, you know, uh, of... Um, uh, Jane Bald and those areas right there, and so we wanted to do some flyovers. We wanted to do some drone work um, and just really kind of show showcase the the environment the bill was was trekking through. And so it really gave us a kind of a multi-dimensional feel in that one in just a, a mile radius. And so that's why we chose that location because of the, the dense forest and then the um, the wide open spans of the highlands. Yeah, I mean the scenery is phenomenal at Roan, and, and um, you have access too, right? Because you got to get people and equipment up there, so that's exactly, got to be, yeah. be a factor. So is that how you? That was one of the questions I had for you because there's a scene where where Bill and Orient are kind of climbing up a peak, and there's an amazing backdrop of mountains, um, and you do a kind of pull away shot. And mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out how you could have done that without a helicopter, but it just occurred to me you probably did that with a drone, right? We did do it with a drone. Yeah, we had. The National Park Service had just released a statement saying that 
that uh, drones were not allowed in the AT. <laughs> Literally a week before we were we were scheduled to shoot, and we had a lot of our our shots were centered around using a drone out there. And um, but we ended up talking to some of the park rangers in that area, and they were very helpful in in helping us understand that you know that um, that had not gone into effect yet. You know that was, that had not become law yet, so it was still legal to actually shoot out there. And um, and so we went, and it was it was a great experience. We actually had uh, some of the rangers show up, and uh, just just you know to make sure things were safe and uh, that we were doing this right. And and they were pleased with it, and um, you know got a couple photos with us, and even had a blind courage shirt on. <laughs> so we had it just great. And that's that's what we wanted. You know, we wanted to not disturb, but to um, to, to have an authenticity to the film to actually shoot on the AT. You know, and to have the support of the National Park Service and uh, uh, Pisgah National Forest and those guys up there were, were just uh, a real blessing to us. Yeah, that that was a really cool shot, by the way. And I was Thanks. scratching my head trying to figure out how you did it, but it all makes sense yeah. now. Um, <laughs> and, and you're actually, Clint, I saw you in the film, right? Aren't you in one of the scenes where, uh, you know, you're basically questioning how a blind man's going to make it to Maine? That was you, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you get a- I'm... You get a cameo. I did get a cameo. Yeah, that was that was more about um, economy more than anything. <laughs> I was I was looking at it going, okay, what's the most efficient way I could uh, keep the cost down here? And um, I'm not an actor, but I gave it a shot, and I have a long beard, so I was going, you know, I could, hey, I could pull this off as as a through actor and spin out here. And, and I, uh, I, I thought you were very convincing, actually. Right, right. Had, yeah. I, had, I, had I not seen pictures of you elsewhere, I would have never known. You were, you would have certainly sold me as a legitimate thru hiker. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, I certainly smelled like one when we were uh, filming that. By the time we 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 hiked up to to that shelter at uh, Rowan Mountain, and I was a beautiful area, by the way. Yeah, it's the fir trees and that true kind of almost. If you almost feel like you're in Vermont, you know, with the with the the fauna that's up there in the flora. Yeah. But um yeah. now did Paula does she uh is she gonna show up in any of the film? Your kind of partner <laughs> partner on this project? You're talking about actually acting in the film? Yeah, well or maybe just get a little cameo just for fun. She might. She might. We might Paula hates bugs. <laughs> so I don't know if she'll like the role too much. Uh but she, she if she can have her her she has this I call it the queen bee because she wears this, this, it's almost like a bee suit <laughs> when she's out on the AT. So it's kind of funny. It's just a real um, uh, uh, love project for her, I'll say that. But she's she's great. Uh, she she does not like being in front of the camera, though. So, so we, 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 we may not see her is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, may may not. The, I was going to ask you about the waterfall scene because that was a cool waterfall. Was that actually on the AT? That was not the AT. That was, um, oh gosh, it slipped my mind. Um, let me shoot that. Um, I, if I pulled my notes up, I could probably probably tell you. I it, but it's not on the AT. It's not on the AT. It's um, it's actually about fifty miles outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, it slipped my mind uh, where that where that is, but I could probably find it and. Um, and get that back to you, though. Uh, uh, you know, it reminded me of uh, the, the falls 
I think it was like Laurel Creek Falls, just outside of Hampton, Tennessee. So it, it looks so much like a waterfall yeah. that I've seen. But I, I imagine that you'd probably try to do the filming closer to, you know, yeah. close, closer to where you live. So well, we actually tried to do Laurel Creek, and we couldn't get permission. No, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, um, we. Yeah, so we didn't. We didn't want to press it, so we backed away from from that location. I think they were doing some main, some trail maintenance down there, and hmm. so we. Yeah, we backed away, um, and gosh, I can't remember. I can't remember where it's at. You know, I but you, you basically alluded to something I never even thought about, and that is the fact that um, just because you want to film on the AT or film in some of these places, that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be allowed to, right? That never even yeah, occurred to me. Yeah, some places, um, you know, and I, my former film is a is a Civil War documentary, and I've worked with the National Park Service before. And there's, you know, a lot of red tape you have to go through. And there's certain areas where they just, they're not going to, they don't care who you are. You're not, you're not getting on that property um, unless, you know, it's a public type of thing. And um, and so we've, yeah, we'll just have to work around it. And that's where it take a, a really good consultant. And that's one of the things we're actually looking for right now uh-huh. is an AT consultant, someone that, that could be involved in this project and help us to location scout, find these areas that are, um, you know, very economic for us and could, because we're going to have, depending on where we're at, the type of crew we'll have, um, you know, we're going to have to be within a mile of our base camp. And and I've location scouted some other areas where we we went 2.8, you know, 3.5 miles in to a beautiful location, but then, Realize there's no way we're going to be able to get actors here. There's no way we're going to be able to get crew here yeah. unless we bring a helicopter in and bring our supplies in. And so we're going to have to, um, you know, use a second unit and be smart about this. Um, yeah, know, maybe maybe Clint, you can pluck someone off the Walk in the Woods uh, project, right? Because they they scouted yeah. a ton of locations for that movie. I don't think they filmed much on the AT either, but. Yeah. Um, an option, I guess. So the actor that played um, Bill is also a Bill, right? Is it? Did I pronounce this correctly, Bill? That's Obers- right. Is that right? Bill Obers, Bill Obers Jr. That's right. And and how did you guys find him? Uh, I had I had seen as a, as a Civil War uh, buff myself. I had seen Bill Obers Jr. in his role of Sherman. Called Sherman's March that was on History Channel, okay. and I just thought I saw he did a phenomenal job embodying this character, and uh, so I I had my eye on him for a while, and I thought he'd be a, a great daughter, and and uh, I got in contact with him. We spoke about this role, and uh, it was a perfect fit for him, uh, someone who's from North Carolina, um, uh, I'm sorry, South Carolina, who has um, uh, extensive uh, time. Who has spent extensive time on the AT is uh, an avid hiker, an avid dog lover, uh, who was raised by his grandfather who was blind. And so, it was just amazing coincidence that, and just real honor to have him on board with this. And uh, he's sh- he sh- he shown up for four days, and uh, which is how long we we spent shooting and. He just knocked it out of the park from from shot one, take one, 
and uh, Oberts is a, a fantastic actor, and I would love to work with him again. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, I think, fits the part well. Um, so maybe we should talk about the film, you know, in general, because you kind of touched on this before, but the through-hike, or in the book, Blind Courage, it kind of works on a number of levels. First, a man's spiritual journey in the wilderness, which the constant theme that we see in society, right? Man or woman. Um, perseverance, overcoming addiction, living a fulfilled life regardless of disability. Uh, self-discovery, the bond between man and dog. But really, this is a story about faith in God and heeding God's call, which you had kind of alluded to before. Um, I definitely picked up from your social media sites that you know you and Paul are spiritual people. How much of your faith kind of compelled you to make the film? I got to believe that was a big factor in in the book Blind Courage, kind of striking a chord with you. Absolutely, the my faith plays a uh, the highest factor in this, um, but it's it's a smart faith. Is the way I'm I'm really trying to approach this. Um, having been someone outside of the faith majority of my life and someone who came into the faith later in life, um, I believe I understand where the 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 views are when it comes to uh, Christianity and spirituality. Um, and it, even if we made this film and never mentioned God, it would inspire a lot of people. But it wouldn't be true to what Bill did. And, and it wouldn't be true to why I feel like I'm involved in this. So in order to stay true to what the, the reasons behind Bill doing what he did, and my own reasons, I have to find a way to interject God into this. And like I said, though, my goal is to be very, very smart about that. Um, and to very, because I think truth is the ultimate goal here. Truth. And truth can be visual. Truth can be through dialogue. You know, truth can be audible. And I think that if I can find ways to just show what, what one man's faith and their ability to trust in a God they cannot necessarily see, I think people, whether they're religious or not religious, can appreciate that. And so that's my goal is, you know, to put myself into this in my background and to try to understand this, the, the, the non-Christian and the Christian that will be looking at this film. And in the end, I want people to to be have a have a an internal sense that no matter where they're at in their life, no matter where they're at, no matter what they're struggling with, that there is hope and that you can keep moving forward. But it's gonna be almost impossible to do that alone. And um you know, that's my goal. Well, and to show Bill and Orient, to show Bill and, and the reconnection with nature, to show Bill and, the, and uh, his renewed faith in, in humanity, um, juxtaposed right. to his background, which is which is just laden with with 
with uh, heartache after heartache after heartache. And and so we'll really understand in the end why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and I think it'll be clear why he's doing what he's doing. Right. No, I, I would agree. And so, I mean, I got that too from, you know, your social media and some of the posts that I saw Paula put up on the um, sites as well. Did, did you guys meet at Savannah College of Arts and Design? Is that how you know each other? Well, we we never met. We never knew each other at Savannah College of Art and Design. We, I had heard of her. Uh, I came in as at the graduate level. Paula was an undergraduate and uh, in film and television. And I saw one of her films. I think it was her senior film, senior project film. Had uh, when my professor showed it in class, and I just I thought it was brilliant. And years later, as I'm sitting around thinking, okay, who can I get involved in this thing? I began to see Paula posting, like you said, kind of like I began to see Paula's spirituality coming out in social media, and I said, wow, she's She's got a lot of the same beliefs as me. And so I, I contacted her. I pitched her the story. I said, would you like to be involved as a producer? And she said, absolutely. And uh, so we've been working together uh, almost close to two years on this. You know, you guys obviously ha- have extensive film backgrounds, but have, have you done a lot of hiking? Have you uh, spent a lot of time on the trail? Can you can you give us some background there? Yeah, the... Uh, as far as Paula, I'm I'm not sure about Paula's background in um, in hiking. Me and her have hiked together at AT. Uh, not not sorry, AT. Um, we've spent probably about uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 miles at Springer Mountain, that area up there, Hogpin uh, Gap. Uh, just just day hiking, just spending a lot of time just trying up in that area. And uh, gathering our thoughts, getting getting out there, and really feeling and being in some of the places Bill went to. Uh, as far as us together, um, as far as uh, and, and then we've done some up in in North Carolina and Tennessee. Um, I've hiked multiple areas in Georgia in those areas in, in North Carolina and Tennessee. Outside of that, as far as the AT goes, not much hiking um, on the expanse of the AT. But I. But I love to hike. I hike in Athens. I hike in North Georgia. Um, you know, so I am a, an avid hiker outside of the AT. It's just just because I don't live close to the AT, uh, it's kind of hard for me to get out there. But um, uh, but yes, I love to hike. I even have a, a kids pack where I can put my kid in the back <laughs> of the pack. You know, right. and he can stand up. My wife has one too. And, you know, we get out there, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoy hiking. I love hiking. I've got one of those too. In fact, I think my wife just sold it because her kids just got too big for it. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, both my children, when they were toddlers, they were in that kid backpack with us when we were on the trail. Oh, it's, I, I just, I just want to go shake the hands of the people who invented that. It's yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, if your kids are like, if your kids are like mine too. They're they're awake for like twenty minutes and then they're sound asleep the rest of the hike. Exactly. Yeah. After they get done tugging on your sunglasses or your hair or whatever else. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so um, Bill's story was one of the most publicized uh, human endeavor events in 1990. In fact, I think it was the most publicized, right? But, um, yeah, I believe so. I mean, yeah, he, he had television stations, newspapers. I mean, he had major networks. They were all after him for interviews. 
But um, I had forgotten, and when I reread the book, it was pretty clear to me it was kind of taxing on Bill, right? Because at times it sounded like he wanted to get back to the hike to enjoy the social aspects of the trail as most, you know, through hikers do. And, you know, he was being asked to pose for shots and, you know, do a, a hike for the camera in each direction so that they get some film. Um, is that something that you had kind of addressed in your first version of the screenplay? Because it definitely was something that kind of came out in the book. Yes, and in, in my version I did. Um, I had the media playing uh, a factor in as a form of antagonist for Bill. But in the end, it actually becomes um, a catalyst to to what Bill is doing, what he's trying to do, which is to reach people. And um, as far as our screenwriter goes right now, that's that's one of the things we'll we'll see um, just because of. The, the amount of subplots that are in the book, things that could emerge. Um, some things I think will have to be more subtle. Um, I mean, we could do certain things we could do with the media in a couple of scenes um, versus if, you know, another screenwriter wrote it, it could be the main antagonist of the entire film. Um, so we're really, we'll see kind of where that, where that ends up, but I could see the media as definitely a factor in, in uh, something taxing for Bill, um, but also which later becomes a tool for Bill, an opportunity for Bill, a catalyst for Bill to, uh, as he understands it, that this is part of what um, God had wanted him and wanted for him, you know, to to accomplish his mission. Right. You know, and on the subject of media, you know, a lot was made in the newspaper and the interviews that he did um, about his ability to put al- alcohol and tobacco use behind him. But but one thing that I had completely forgotten about that I didn't recall at all until I read the book a second time was that um, he mentions a scene, or I shouldn't say a scene, but a moment when another thru-hiker and, and he had had a conversation about sexual abuse and that he had had a uh, – relative that had abused him as a child and he states in the book that it, it was one of the most unfortunate and damaging periods of his life and um he admits that when he was younger he he had some anger and you have to believe that that had a big big part in maybe you know some of the things that happened to him in terms of alcohol and tobacco use right mm-hmm. so I, i'm just curious because it is a very delicate thing if it's something that you guys sort of hint at in the film and if that's if that's a scene in the screenplay when he does have that conversation with another hiker that would that would be a very very powerful scene and a very intimate scene you'd have to really build your characters into that moment um and to where that was uh, you know believable but could i see it in the film i i could and i think that what that what that scene what that moment in the book and, and in reality Bill talks about is really a, a form of identity. Uh, Bill would tell me that he, he asked me a question one time. He said, Clint, what, what do you see when you look at me? And I said, I see, a, I see a blind man. He said, okay. Let me tell you about what I see when I look at me. He said, I don't see a blind man. I see a man first who is blind. And he said, part of sexual abuse 
part of sexuality and to, to some degree is is that you that does not define you you have to see yourself first as a human you have to see your first yourself first as as a person and later as your sexuality and and Bill had an incredible ministry, an incredible, um, for some reason, and Bill would even tell you this, for some reason, homosexual men were very drawn to Bill. They would open up to Bill, total strangers, people dealing with uh, their own sexual issues, from sexual abuse to affairs to uh, different sexual orientation People that were that were having uh, some form of guilt, dealing with anything sexual, and Bill was not defining what's right or wrong for them. He would just they would just open up to him, and he would often point them to identity. He would say, you know, what you're struggling with is really who you are. And and Bill was a blind man. It was just a, he was he was a walking example, and he would use himself to say, you know, you see a blind man, but I don't. I see a man first who is blind. And when Bill's telling me this, I'm going, oh my God, no wonder this man had the impact that he did. Not only worldwide, and but to the people that he met on the ADP. He was just so genuine, so insightful, and people were just drawn to him. They were just completely open up to him. I'm sure he didn't want some of this, you know, at, at, at points. Like, um, like some of us do that, that tend to attract, um, you know, openness from people. Um, right. I mean, it, to me, it definitely explained, you know, some of his turmoil in his younger life. And, and, um, and, and I could understand why he, you know, why he struggled with dependency like he did. But, um, uh, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, the media reports also never discuss that he had been very successful as a businessman too. And that he yeah. had um, that he had had built a business that eventually got sold to LabCorp, which many people in the southeast would know from, you know, if you ever need a blood test or something like that. So um, he was successful in the business world as well, not just um, in other things uh, that he accomplished later in life. So I mean, I think that's relevant too. But um, if if we could, let's move on to Orient because we've talked about Bill a ton, but. I mean, yeah. you got to give some credit to Orient, right? Because he, he was a German Shepherd. Um, Bill and Orient together, the Orient Express basically was their trail name. And ironically, Bill resisted having a dog in his early years of blindness, if I have that correct. It did, yeah. He felt like it would take away from his sense of independence that he valued so much. It would call attention to him, and he didn't, he didn't really want that. Right. Now, Orient was not his first... Guide dog. I think Orient was actually his third guide dog. Um, but how much? I mean, how much can you tell us about Orient? I, I know Orient obviously um, had to retire at some point, and I believe like around '95, maybe around the age of eight, um, yeah. Orient officially quit doing guide services. But Bill still held held on to Orient and kept Orient as part of his life, right? Yes. Yeah, I believe he. Um I believe it was 1997 when he when he died. But yes, he um, kept him around for a little while, and then I think later he went to um, home where you know they take retired um, uh, service dogs like that 
and um, I think Bill would often visit him. Uh, yeah, and did I see did I see that you had some uh, some of the folks from Orient's? Is it called the Seeing Eye? That um, were they involved in your film or at least your trailer to some degree? They were actually. They the former president uh, Doug Roberts, who uh, was the president of the Seeing Eye during the time that Bill hiked AT in nineteen ninety in nineteen ninety, who helped actually got Orient to Bill in the in the beginning before the AT. He helped us. He connected us to um, a trainer of his who brought down a dog uh, named Dante, who um, he's not an acting dog. <laughs> he's a real he's a real seeing eye service dog. He's he's um, kind of out for stud type dog right now. Uh, so he's not actually like, working. But he's he's kind of more retired out for out for stuff type of dog, and uh, he just did a great job. I mean, he went he went everywhere with us, never fussed once. He was a little reluctant a couple times, especially near that waterfall. <laughs> sure. But uh, for the most part, he he went where where we wanted him to go. And Bill Overs Jr., the actor, really adapted. Uh, within a couple hours, these two. We're, we're in sync with one another and really learning one another. Uh, so, yeah, we he's an actual Dante, the, the dog that played Orient in our concept trailer, was from The Seeing Eye. Yeah, and I thought I read in the book that The Seeing Eye, at least that Orient came from, was out of New Jersey. But the um, Seeing Eye that you worked with for the film, were they in the south, or did you also work with the, with the New Jersey uh, group? Yeah, they were the New Jersey group. So, so they traveled a significant way to be part of the trailer, huh? That's correct. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's yeah. that's interesting because that means that they're probably super excited to see this movie get made. They are, and they're gonna going to have already committed to help us with uh, with the feature film as well. So we're we're really uh, thankful to have them on our side, and 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 obviously Deborah is with us, and Deborah Bill's Bill's wife. Uh, who is hand in hand with us uh, every shot everywhere we're going uh that's you know we we want her there and her her she really brings an authenticity to bill into orient uh you know, being married to him for as long as she has so um the the seeing eye knows that we're just not you know we're not Hollywood coming in taking over the story and pushing everybody out. We are independent and we are uh trying to work with everyone. With partners of the AT, partners with uh, the Seeing Eye and, and the blind community to um, to really bring a, a sense of community to this to this project and 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 authenticity as well. And not that Hollywood would do that. Um, it's just we are uh, we want to work as closely with those uh, involved in the original as as we possibly can, and then those who are involved now currently with uh, happenings on the AT. Uh, and in some of these communities, um, you know, just so we can build that sense of community. Yeah. So, so Clint, I'm glad you brought that up because um, you you obviously got the blessing from Bill and Deborah to make this movie. Do you you want to talk about that uh, for a moment? Absolutely. They after I read the book, I sat on the idea of the book becoming a movie for close to a year. Kept coming back to me, coming back to me. 
and I finally shot Bill an email, and uh, I said, I love your book. I am a huge fan of, of the message behind what you've done. Uh, I am a believer myself. I am a filmmaker. Would you be interested in allowing me to, to turn your book into a movie? And I shot the, him and Deborah an example of, of my former work, and they really liked that. And uh, next day we were on the phone talking, and uh, me and Bill got to know each other really quickly. And within a week, I was I was meeting with him in Boone, North Carolina, face to face, and uh, re- received this blessing to um, to turn this into a movie. And so um, we've been working hard ever since then. And obviously, in March 2014, Bill passed away, and uh, it was a huge blow to where we were at because we were developing the story at that point, and our source outside of the book was gone. And um, but also a friend and and a mentor who just wanted to become a uh, someone I looked up to immensely uh, was gone and it was a we had to kind of step back take some time off um, but then Deborah carried the mantle forward and said Bill one of Bill's in the last week before he died he told me keep going forward. And so Deborah is acting instead of Bill, and is we are all working together to continue this movement forward. And I'll go ahead and say this too for your listeners, uh, and, and that we are in the process of releasing a 25th year edition of the book. Okay. Um, uh, so an updated edition that we're working on, as well as an audio book that will hopefully be on audible.com here soon, which is uh, not the abridged version, the unabridged version. So we're working on some things to kind of revitalize um, the, the book because we're dealing with 25 years. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people forget that. that. That was a long time ago. The trail was a very different place back then, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I actually, Clint, remember listening to the audio book in uh, Caratunk, Maine. We were at... Um, I think it was Steve Longley's place there before he passed, and someone had a copy, and I had read the book earlier in the year because it came out, I guess, in 92, and we were hiking in 94. But, I mean, it was pretty powerful, right? Because like, I remember thinking at the time how incredibly difficult the hike was for somebody that had vision. I, I just could not fathom what it would be like to have, you know, not have your eyes and try to hike that trail. So his accomplishment, <laughs> truly amazing. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. And and it's a story that's timeless right now. I mean, 25 years later, people are still buying this book. Yeah. With it says a lot. <laughs> yeah. So you want to talk about the film a little bit? I know you're trying to get this out in the fall of 2015. I mean, I, I believe me, I can fully appreciate the expense that goes into making a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know you have an Indigo if I said that right, in Indiegogo campaign, right? And you, you did, That's you, right. you exceeded your goals in terms of fundraising for that. But do you just want to talk about what it takes to bring a movie like this to the big screen? Absolutely. Bringing a film like this to the big screen is uh, a big process and it requires a lot of people involved. 
a lot of people up front willing to take risk on some young filmmakers like Paula and myself. Uh, but we have an incredible team with us right now. Uh, we have uh, myself. Uh, I have experience in both documentary, feature film, and uh, uh, commercial, corporate, and music video. I have a lot of experience in, in, in shooting with a camera as well as in storytelling in general. And um, Paula has, uh, has worked for 20th Century Fox as a background in, in, uh, in filmmaking, a degree in filmmaking and from an incredible school. Uh, Christina Lee Storm, who's an executive producer with us right now. Uh, Christina is uh, a mover and shaker in L.A. She's She worked on, uh, she was a producer on a movie called To Save a Life, um, uh, producer on a documentary called Life After Pi, about the visual effects folks that worked on the life of Pi. And uh, uh, she's also a treasurer of the Producers Guild in uh, the West Coast. So, um, and we have uh, Jack Fox, who's an executive producer with us as well, who's uh, come on board as a to finance uh, a portion of the film. And uh, right now, our budget is 750000 So we're low budget. Um, we Will that budget go up? We don't know. <laughs> uh, but we have multiple investors who are looking into our project and are strongly considering uh, jumping on board. But everything starts with the script. So right now where we're at is we have acquired funds to pay a screenwriter, a professional screenwriter, and that's what she is doing. She is currently writing the script, and she's being paid by us uh, to to write that script. And so we should have something here soon. And we're slated to shoot, begin actually production, uh, late summer, early fall, so most likely September, somewhere in September, October is when we'll, we will hit the AP if things go as planned. Right. So, so you'd probably be happy to have anyone listening to this podcast show up as a free extra on your set, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that would help the budget a little bit, right? Absolutely, it absolutely pack, would. Yeah. Pack your own. We we, we, we will feed you. I oh. <laughs> that we can feed you and and, uh, and find a place for you. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> You know, through hikers are pretty good about showing up with their own gear and their own food. Maybe you shouldn't extend that out there. You're right. You're right. You know, well, having done a Civil War film, Civil War reenactors the same way. Oh yeah. You know, self-sufficient. Yeah, they'll come out. They'll they'll bring everything. But I tell you, if you don't feed them, you better (laughs) kiss your film goodbye. (laughs) Or you screw them over. You better kiss your film. They will they will blacklist you, and I and I have a feeling that that through hikers should do the same. You know? So we're I have a having done that worked strongly with those who are out there actually doing this. I I want to maintain that sense of community and authenticity with them. I want through hikers to see this film as as their film. You know, film they look at and go. You know, when I think about the AT and the best films I've ever seen, I think about Blind Courage. Well, I mean, I'm sure the thru-hiker community would support this because they know how hard that trail is and just what Bill accomplished is is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, so on the topic, though, of uh, inspiration, are there other hiking films that really inspire you in terms of uh, give you some ideas on what you want to do here? Sure. Um, You know, I look at at an array of films. Um, You know, I look... Documentaries as well as as uh, narratives. 
Um, the one I've I've really studied is Into the Wild. I really love Sean Penn's artistic approach to that film. Um, I think his use of the camera and and um, an editing style was just uh, was just neat. I mean, I, I liked it. So I've looked at that. It's a very stylized film, though. Um, and will that be the style of Blind Courage? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of that's going to come through the screenplay, but. Um, I really like Into the Wild. I like the way uh, with Emilio Estevez and um, you know, the, the Camino uh, Trail. I've um, uh, I have not seen Wild, but I have read the script for Wild. Uh, I really look forward to seeing that with Miss Witherspoon. Um, I have watched. Uh, I've, I've really been looking at Mile Mile and a Half documentary. I think they this guy did a great job with that one on the Pacific. Uh, uh, was it the Pacific, yeah, the Pacific Crest Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, is it 180? Is it 180 degrees? Documentary. I don't know if I know that one. It could be though. I don't know it's them all. A documentary about the AT. Um, and I've watched some of uh, South Founders. Um, and uh, so I've been really bouncing back and forth. You know, another one that, that has really caught my attention and that I really enjoy is David Lynch. It's not a hiking movie, but it's a traveling movie that's somewhat similar. Okay. And it's the straight story. Uh, Richard Farnsworth, he won an Academy Award Best Acting for, the, for, uh, for that one, where mm-hmm. the guy goes on a 300-mile uh, journey with his lawnmower <laughs> to see his, to see his uh, brother who just had a stroke. I, I have heard about that one. Yeah, that, that's definitely unique. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, well, there's a lot of similarities because you have a Bill who's having to rely on a dog, right? You know, to get where he's where he's going. Um, Farnsworth's character had to rely on a on a machine that kept breaking down. <laughs> and he kept right. meeting these people along the way. So I studied that to really uh, get a sense of uh, you know this kind of traveling, meeting characters along the way type of feel. Um, so I've been I've been all over the place. <laughs> gotcha. Well, so let let's kind of wrap up here with the uh with i guess you know how bill finishes out his hike he finishes on november 21st 1990 with snow on the ground at katahdin stream campground as i understand it and correct me if i'm wrong i believe he hiked katahdin a number of weeks earlier and then um finished up the rest of the trail to katahdin but members of his church are there to uh see him finish they greet him with amazing grace by the time he got by the time he got to Maine, he had furnished over 500 Bibles to children along the way. So, you know, it was definitely important for Bill to spread the word of God. Um, have, have you heard from any members of his church while you've been working on the film? And like in their interest in participating and financing it or just words of encouragement and those sort of things? Yeah, yeah, mainly uh, a little both, really. We've had, especially through our Indiegogo campaign that, that we took on, uh, there were members of Bill's ministries, because uh, he had multiple ministries he worked in, as well as his church, that became that followed us through social media, uh, that supported us online with our uh, financing campaign that we went through. Um, uh, family, same same way, Bill's, Bill's children have reached out to us. We've reached out to them. Um, they've, they've helped us immensely along the way. Um, so we've had a lot of support from from those who have known Bill, I think I have a hunch that majority of those who have read this book and remember the story 
have no clue that, that, that it's being turned into a film. But our goal on the marketing side is to reach them, is to let them know. So, so even this podcast, you know, doing this interview is is part of that. Um, you know, hopefully someone out there who knew Bill or, you know, was affected by Bill or read the book and was inspired by Bill. Guys, we're making a movie about it. So uh, jump online with us and uh, at com and on Facebook as well. All you got to do is type in Blind Curse the Movie and you'll find us and just follow us. We'll keep you updated um, and and put things out there. We'll keep talking to you let you know how things are being developed. And we need support. You know, we need fan support. We need people spreading the word out there. When you find extra support, um, there's ways to donate. There's there's T-shirts to buy. There's all types of things that we can do to keep keep this movie on, uh, you know out there. The book is still available. Uh, and we'll let you know about the new edition that's coming out. I think it's going to be uh, a, a great release and some updated chapters, especially on the closing of Bill's life. Um, and I'm, I'm seeking people right now to write uh, someone to write a foreword for it. Um, and so we're 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 out there working hard on that. Sorry, that was a long answer, but uh, but that's definitely kind of where we're at. We've been blessed by those who, who knew Bill, um, who've been right. reaching out to us. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. And and I noticed. I mean, you guys have an impressive number of followers on your social media site. So let, let's just review them real quick so people know where they can go to help you and. Um, and can they still donate? I mean, it looked like your uh, your campaign had ended, but if they want to help you financially, is it too late? Or uh, it is. It is as too late. As far as through the Indiegogo campaign, right? Uh, it's, it's too late to donate to that. They close it. And, um, but um, you know, we could. That's always a discussion. I would say the best thing is someone actually wanted to donate something to us. Um, to go to blindcouragethemovie.com and to contact us and and let us know who you are and what you're wanting to do. And uh, we will get those emails. Our producer, producing team and myself will get those emails, and we will respond within a day to to these individuals. Um, you know, so Indiegogo is closed, but there are T-shirts, and we're coming out with bandanas as well uh, that we're trying to actually give out for free, um, the kind of... We want to respark the bandana movement. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Yeah. Why not? And, yeah. uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, when I threw hiked, I was a uh, avid user of the bandana. To be, yeah. to be honest with you, I noticed you had it on in your trailer there too. I did. So. I wore it everywhere. I loved it. I, yeah. I, growing up, I wore bandanas, and then you know, in the eighties and nineties, and and then it just fell away. It, but it could, I think now's the time. <laughs> you know, it could it could be the single most useful piece of gear you can take in the backcountry. There's so many really? uses yeah. for a bandana, you know. Absolutely. But hey, let me get your social media sites out here to help the listeners. So we've got blindcourage dot com, right? Mm-hmm. We've you've got a Facebook page, which if you just go on Facebook and search for Blind Courage, they're going to find you. Um, yeah. Same same with Twitter, right? Just go on Twitter. Yeah. Search for Blind Courage, and then you've also got a Google site. That's correct. That, yeah. Did I hit hit? Am I missing anything? No, that's that's about it. I mean, we uh, I don't think we have a LinkedIn, but for the most part, that's the best way uh, best way to follow us. That's where we're at, really uh, hitting it strong on the social social media side. So, can I close out with three big questions? Sure. Let me let me just look at them. These are ones we missed earlier, but I think are. Um, I think are 
are good ones. Yeah. So first of all, how was Bill exactly like you thought he'd be, and how was he very different? He was he was exactly like I would thought he would be. I thought he would be humble, insightful, and and a teacher. I thought I would learn something from him. And when I met him in person, all those things emerged. I was blown away at how inviting he was to me and how soft-spoken and humble he was, but also how much of an incredible storyteller he was. He could just tell story after story after story of things that occurred to him on the, on the Appalachian Trail, and you would just listen. And that came from his background of, of you know being a um, motivational speaker and, and preacher. Um, but he was very insightful. And by the time he left, and just being in the presence of this man, you were blessed. You were you were changed, and you were left to really think about the words that he said to you. And uh, I think that's why he had such an incredible ministry after the AT, because uh, he he did so many more things after the Appalachian Trail that 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 you don't know of in the book. And so I got to see that man that side, the man, 24 years later, you know, and what he's done since since the Appalachian Trail, but it was still just as fresh on his mind. Yeah, and it seems like after he hiked, he actually hit a period of probably potentially the happiest time in his life, right? He married Yeah. He married Deborah and they I understand moved mm-hmm. to Maine within view of Mount Katahdin. And yeah. um he became a very sought after motivational speaker that had accolades from some of the biggest corporations in this country. So um he, he had a great success after he finished the trail. I understand he just died last year at seventy three from prostate cancer. Um let, let, let me ask you though, how was he different than you, than you thought he would be, or was he? It's a great question. But he was more patient than I thought he would be. Um, I thought he would be okay. Okay, Mr. Ross, when are we going to get this update here? But he was just very patient with me. And he would tell me, you know, what I'd call him, I'd be like, Bill, I haven't hardly made any progress. And say, you know what, Glenn, that's that's fine. You, God's called you to do this. He will give you the time to, to be able to do that. And he would talk to me about family situation, talk to me about having kids and and what comes first. And he would help me put things into perspective. And I, I never, I did not expect that from him. You know, I, I expected just to, hear about his life, but he wanted to know about mine. And uh, he was just an incredible figure person on this earth and and became a a spiritual father and mentor for me, myself. Did did he have any final words of encouragement for you, Clint? Because I I know you had talked to him when, when cancer was sort of setting in. I'm just curious if he had any final words of encouragement or final suggestions for you, you know, before he passed? He did. Um, you know, there was a period there. We were scheduled to have a meeting the week that he passed. Um, and actually the day that he passed away, we were scheduled to have a meeting that day. And uh, it had been three or four weeks before I'd spoken with him. 
but in that in that meeting before he had told me he said Glenn, don't don't forget that God has called you to this that you are the one that he has chosen to put this story out there so don't forget it and have confidence in that and be strong and it really felt like any of your listeners that know uh, the Bible, you know, the book of Joshua, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And that's the way it felt when he when he said that. I just felt like, man, he's with me all the way here. And then when he passed away, Deborah had to remind me of that. Remember, remember what he told you, keep pushing forward. God's chosen you to do this. And I took, I took it as if I am hiking the Appalachian Trail and this is my journey is to make this into a movie and it's going to be fantastic, but it's going to be hell along the way as well. And, uh, and so I've, I've, I've had to have that encouragement. And so that, I think Bill knew that and, uh, and he knew kind of how to press that button. <laughs> well, I mean, Clint, you know, we're all rooting for you. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I really I, appreciate yeah you taking time to, um, you know, to talk, talk with us tonight. And, um, you know, hopefully there's people that are here in this podcast that are inspired to help you in some way. Yeah. And, uh, I really look forward to, I really look forward to seeing the film. Excellent. Well, we're glad that, uh, you reached out and we've, we've connected and we've been able to, to talk, um, and, um, uh, just get a little bit more familiar with what's going on. And, uh, we'll, you know, if we want to do it again, I would love to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Maybe, maybe we can have a follow-up conversation uh, after the film's released. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Clint. I appreciate your time. No problem. Appreciate it as well. Thanks for listening to the N2 Backpacking Podcast. This is Bird Shooter wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this podcast, visit Apple's iTunes store or download them directly at n2backpacking.com from the podcast tab on the secondary menu. Music from this podcast was provided by the John Zed Band. For more information on this Atlanta-based musician, visit his website at johnzed.com. That's johnzedd.com. Or search for his latest release through iTunes. This podcast is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures, Inc. For more information or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2 Backpacking. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.